Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast where there's a sound effect. What an interesting sound effect. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic. Uh, I don't have a cute nickname, uh, but my co-host does. Yeah. My name is William Bibiani. Everyone calls me Scoodles. And uh, this week on Critically Acclaimed... That's a who, cute one, right? Who calls you Scoodles? Luca. Luke, your cat calls you Scoodles? Yeah, he's got a cute name for me. Like, mm. I got a cute name for Luca. Mm. He is uh, Lord High Grimoire. He just, call, he just calls me meowing noises. Yeah, well. Uh, and what are we reviewing this week? Well. <laughs> we, 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 this is a film review podcast. We do talk about cats a lot. We do. Uh, this is, Lu- this Luca week. takes up a lot of our t- time and energy. This week on the Critically Acclaimed uh, podcast, we are reviewing the new releases, Old from director M. Night Shyamalan, Snake Eyes, colon, G.I. Joe Origins. That's one movie, not two. Jolt. That's a movie, not a cola. That's also a cola. But we're not, are we reviewing the cola? Uh, we could. Is it based on the cola? Uh, listeners, if you'd like to hear us uh, review oh, Jolt bottles of Jolt Cola, I know where we can get some. Oh, my God. Uh, we're also reviewing the uh, new release of Blood Red Sky uh, and the film's Candisha. And mandibles, all of all of those movies. So yeah, nice, uh, nice healthy week, uh, which seemed seemed at the start that it was going to be pretty thin, and then yeah. like this big tidal wave of, of film came in. Before we uh, uh, jump in, I just want to remind everybody that this episode's like a day late, but we actually did that on purpose because we had a very special bonus episode here on the main feed of all our yesterdays. That's our podcast over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We've been reviewing every single episode of Star Trek ever produced in order. And we just hit the pilot episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. That's over 100 episodes of podcast in. Boom. Finally hit Next Generation. A lot of people's <laughs> favorite Trek. And uh, we, we know a lot of people love that one. So we thought we would share that with the whole world. So if you haven't listened to that podcast yet, it's like a solid hour and a half. I think it's longer than the actual pilot itself. Uh, just talking about disseminating like every part of that pilot, the history of Next Generation, the, what goes into all those characters, and beloved as they are, uh, and uh, also our hot takes on whether or not that's good or bad, that <laughs> pilot. Uh, but so yeah, that one's free, and then if you want the whole backlog, get on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, get over 100 hours of backlog if you haven't signed up already, and we'll be doing more Next Generation episodes every single week for a very long time. It's a long-ass show. It lasted seven years, and those weren't, like, no, short little British seasons. No, this wasn't, like, the fall where we'll, we'll do five episodes every three years, and everyone's gonna be like, ooh, how decadent! Like, no. There was a ton of Star Trek every year for decades. They're doing Marvel shows now. Really? They do, like, six half hours, and you call that a show? <laughs> <laughs> Paltry little thing limping along. All right, but enough of this. Sick of it always. <laughs> All this talking. From now on, this podcast now, will be nothing but silence. 
I'm just going to contemplate films Nothing but in, silence. In, in our brains and yeah. uh, hope you pick up on the vibes. Now, let's talk about uh, the biggest new release of the week, which I think some people were surprised mm-hmm. was M. Night Shyamalan's new thriller, Old, which I am embarrassed to say I could not see. Uh, old was, uh, we're still in sort of this flux period where uh, some films are opening in theaters and some are going to theaters and streaming mm-hmm. and uh, looks like a hybrid model might be the wave of the future, but a lot of films are just available in theaters. Mm-hmm. And if uh, you're not feeling safe to go enough to a screening, then um, you're just going to miss those movies. And on top of it all, if you can get an online screener from some studios, no guarantee it'll actually work. Yeah, like... Uh, yeah, I, I had some th- trouble. That was actually an issue I had with old. I ha- ended up having to go to a theater with the public. Uh, okay. Just because my oh, screening. with the public? Yeah, with the, with the hoi polloi. And... Um, uh, no, but it wasn't I, your I, first choice. You got to. I didn't mind. Like yeah, I, I, I wanted to do a screener. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the timing works better for me. But I ended up going to a, a screening, and I saw Old in a theater. And um, Old is a hoot. That's uh, cool. Yeah, I I dug Old. And uh, so the, I know I know not every M. that Shyamalan movie has mm. a twist. That's like a that's a bit of a fallacy. But he does like to give his movies big endings. Don't spoil this one. I, no, okay. I, I won't give away the ending. Sometimes but, we uh, get a little cavalier when we talk about endings. But usually with it when it's movies where you know how it ends. More like it's pretty less, obvious yeah. how it ends, or it doesn't really matter. If there's no yeah. like twist or surprise, um, M Night Shyamalan is a really uh, interesting filmmaker. I've I've always been fascinated by what he does, whether or not what he does is good or bad. Um, yeah. I'm even on the side of films like After Earth, which is a bad film, but you know <laughs> has a lot of interesting like use of future language and design. Someone uh, asked me and, on Twitter uh, how I felt about M Night Shyamalan, and right. I think I said something to the effect of. He always goes for the home run. Yeah, he yeah, never he never a, hits a bunt. He never like tries to play it safe. He hmm. always swings as hard as he can with every movie, and sometimes he strikes out. And sometimes <laughs> his movies are kind of silly or whatever. But it's never because he didn't try. Yeah, it's um, always he's always after something exciting, and I think yeah, that's the, a, that's a really good place to be as a storyteller. Yeah, uh, and he's he's very very hit or miss. Um, I really don't like uh, the Lady in the Water. I think that's uh, it's uh, just all over a, the place. That movie, it's all over the place. Yeah. It's really self-serving. Uh, it's yeah. it's kind of kind of an embarrassment. I would but go to bat for. I know um, most people go to bat for the Sixth Sense because it's you know, had Oscars and it was a big hit. And it's a legitimately great movie. Mm-hmm. Most people have turned. Uh, uh, there was a, this initial sort of indifference to Unbreakable, largely because its ending is a it's it's rushed that ending i think we can all yeah. agree on that but well, other the, than that it's very very good yeah, and a lot of and the, the temptation to compare it to the sixth sense was strong yeah. same actor even uh, there's some people who don't dig signs i think signs kicks ass i like signs a lot yeah. uh there's been people... a lot of relitigation over the village recently a I lot of people are saying that. it's really really good uh it's not it's the village is spectacularly yeah. well photographed Oh, the, the photography was, is great. Was it Taku Jimoto who shot that one, I think? One, uh, I think so. The, yeah, the, the, use of color, the use of color in that movie is really yeah. wonderful, but it, it's not a good film. Like, and, the first, like, half of that movie mm. is rock solid, and then the more they reveal about what's actually going on, mm. the more you realize... It's one thing to, like... Oh, I guess the twist. It's, I guess, what was going on. Mm. It's another thing when the actual revelation undermines the good stuff. It or actually kind of the, ruins that movie for or, me. Or the, the, tw- the twist, um, like it recontextualizes everything, but it, yeah, it doesn't actually make what came before any better or worse. Yeah. Uh, it, it just sort of... Mm, uh, I think his uh, adaptation of The Last Airbender is... Um, has interesting aesthetic things in it, but mm-hmm. it's a pretty dull film. As a fan of that show, mm-hmm. which is worth noting, um, I'm astounded... At that, that's what he got out of it. 
Well, what yeah. he got out of that material was what we saw in that film. I am just how. <laughs> oh my god! It's such a cinematic that, yeah. series, and you drained it. Yeah, like, the, it's the viewers, so weird. I know. I know fans of the the TV show were not fans of the movie. It, it, I don't. Uh, he just he picked up weird things from that, and I don't understand yeah, it. And some of the casting's really I've, bad. I've seen some of the TV show. I yeah. I have no feelings about yeah. it. But uh, uh, the um, the happening is incredibly stupid, and it's great. I like the happening a lot. Actually, yeah. I think there's a lot of good scary stuff in it. The, the, um, the opening the, act is terrifying. Yeah, and yeah. and the uh, you know the actual uh, revelation as to what's causing this worldwide rash of suicide. Is is really, uh, I think, fine. I think it's you know oh, the, a, a, a completely acceptable premise to, for a, a horror movie. There's some really weird, almost like alien performances in mm. that movie where you just don't understand. Like, I want to know how M Night Shyamalan mm. got that performance out of Zoe Deschanel. Like, Here, I don't well, know. Here's here's what I like about and yeah, and the, there was of course was Split and then Glass and Glass sucks, mm. but Split is fun. Split, uh, there was the Split's visit, the visit, which was really quite good. This is really good. Uh, it's really creepy. And, yeah. And uh, what I appreciate about M Night Sh- uh, Sh- Shyamalan is that he. Um, you said he he swings really big. He swings really big at strange ideas. He's yeah. trying to think up of sort of interesting stories mm. and interesting ways to tell them. I liked uh, uh, this one story uh, he told where. Mm. Because we, we started with The Sixth Sense. He made, like, two movies before that. He made, like, yeah, a student I'll, I'll film. Wide Awake was his first and it was, feature, like, I believe. Praying with Anger or something like that. Mm-hmm. I forget. But, like, his, Wide Awake was his feature film, and it was this, like, coming-of-age mm-hmm. story. Rosie O'Donnell's kind of starred in it. And I heard... I've actually never seen it. I heard it's okay, but it's just not mm-hmm. what he would become. And apparently after that sort of collapsed, uh, M. Night Shyamalan said something to the effect of, I decided I'm going to write a screenplay that a studio would have to be mad to turn down. And I think that's his ethos for a lot of his stuff is I need the hook to be so strong. You have to see it. You have Mm -hmm. to buy it. You have to make it like, there's no way I'm missing this. Yeah. 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 Um, He's really good with uh, kids, uh, kid actors. Uh, He's interested in the way kids communicate and he tends to write his uh, characters. Uh, his movies are very funny, but he doesn't write comedies. Yeah. And I feel like he writes characters that have a sense of humor, but not necessarily the greatest sense of humor in that natural way that people do. Yeah. So there's a lot of like weird bits of dialogue that are in jokes. People are sort of like flip with one another in a way that's markedly his. Yeah. That I think, I think a lot of people react very strangely to because he tends to make thrillers and horror movies. Yeah. But he has but they the have humor. funny characters yeah. in them and that a people, lot of people don't like that tone. A lot of people clashing. like their horror to be like exclusively horror. Like if it's not the Ari Aster brand yeah, or just, oh, like right there, everybody's just dour, just dour and miserable. Yeah. And, and I, I think and more, that, which is fine. It, that can work but mm-hmm. I think he's a more He's a more uh, dynamic filmmaker than that. And I've heard a lot of people talk about, and again, I didn't see old, so I can't speak to it, mm-hmm. but I've seen pretty much everything else he's ever done. And some people talked about how he has weird dialogue. And I think that's f- fair, but I think that's kind of, it's, well, that's it's, putting it wrong. He has unique. distinctive, yeah, yeah he, has, he has a style. Mm-hmm. I remember back when having a style was a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like when, when your boss, but Quentin Tarantino came out, and people didn't write dialogue like that at the time. Yeah. That was a distinctive dialogue. Kevin Smith. 
no one was writing dialogue like that. That was distinctive. Uh, you go to someone like few, Preston uh, Sturges few, or Bill, you few, know, a uh, few screenwriters. You can like hear a few lines of their dialogue and know who wrote it. Yeah, and I admire screenwriters who can do that, and I think yeah. Shyamalan is one of them. Yeah, he has a voice. I'm, I'm not gonna. You can't. Mm. It doesn't mean every single one works, but you can't give him demerits for it. It's yeah. ridiculous. So, uh, so now he uh, now he's come out with old. Uh, old is about a vacationing couple. They're played by Gael Garcia Barnell and Vicky Creeps from uh, they, Phantom Thread. From Phantom Thread. Yeah. Uh, they uh, have two young kids, and they're on a on the sort of holiday that we learned pretty early on was is essentially the family's last hurrah before the parents split up. Uh, things are not good between them, and also we learned that Vicky Creeps uh, has some sort of as yet unnamed medical condition, uh, which is actually causing a bit of uh, turmoil in the family. Uh, they have two kids, though, an 11-year-old girl and a 6-year-old boy, and they're they're picking up on this, but they're also here to have a good time. Um, a uh, Somebody who works at the hotel, played by M. Night Shyamalan, uh, ah. says, hey, there's this beach, get on this bus, and it's kind of like this secret area, and uh, well, I'll drive you to this cave, and you walk through this little cave, and you go out onto the beach, and uh, it's just this like sort of private little paradise. Go there. Uh, lo, they do. They're uh, on a bus with a bunch of other people. Uh, Rufus Sewell is there with his much younger wife. Uh, there's another couple there. Oh, um, the oh, what is the name of the actor? I don't know. Uh, you can do it. Ken Leung. Oh, cool. Uh, I love Ken Leung. Yeah, he, he's actor. great. And uh, yeah. he's, he's very good in this. Uh, he yeah. and his wife are also heading out to the beach. His wife, uh, we saw earlier in the movie, had a seizure oh. uh, during breakfast, but she was able to get back up. She's epileptic. So okay. Something she's really used to. Um, so, hmm. A little, okay. little bit of clues are being dropped in our, <clears throat> in, in, in our path. Yeah. Uh, they get onto the beach, and it takes them a little while to figure out what's going on. The kids start complaining that their swimsuits fit a little too tight. Uh, there's somebody sitting there on the beach already, and he's just sort of a little bit despondent. Uh, it turns out he's a, a celebrity rapper named Midsize Sedan. <laughs> that's an Which, which is a really Shamalan joke, yeah. He's yeah, um, like, that, that's, that's Midsize Sedan. Oh, damn. <laughs> you know, the kid recognizes Midsize Sedan, and... and uh, <laughs> He's a very reasonable and, and he he's he's like really sort of freaked out, but he's not talking to anybody. And uh, and then, of course, a dead body washes up on shore. And that's when uh, really things really start going to hell. Um, and yes, uh, it, it they eventually do figure out that being on this beach is causing them to age at an incredibly accelerated rate. Right. They're getting older quicker. Uh, the kids are. There's a, a wonder, and the way uh, Shyamalan shoots it, and you know the kids are getting larger, they're growing, but he's really clever about not putting the camera on it. Like uh-huh. we see, like their elbow, or we get to hear their dialogue. Oh, I'm really hungry. Yum yum yum. You look a little different. Yum yum yum. Yeah, you look a little different too. It's really weird. Yum 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 yum. And then, of course, when we finally cut to them, uh, the six year old boy is now played by Nat Wolf. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, yeah. So. Um, the, the kids creepy. are the yeah. kids are yeah it's and it's really creepy everybody's really terrified and whenever they try to walk out through the cave they pass out in the cave and oh, and that's they, not good. yeah and um the Rufus Sewell character begins uh, behaving in a much more unhinged fashion clearly is being driven a little bit mad mm. um his much younger wife is like an Instagram model so she's you know of course incredibly vain and she's really worried about what this might be doing to her because she's getting older much quicker and uh, Again, we, we start getting more and more clues as to what's going on, as to why they are on that beach, and uh, you know exactly how they figure out what's going on, and they have to figure out ways to get out of it. Um, 
I feel like it's it's one of those things where it doesn't pass the fridge test. Mm. You're, you're going to be thinking about, oh, this is really fun. They're aging. This aging accelerating is a pretty fun idea. They do some fun and some kind of creepy things with it, especially as it pertains to the kids. Uh, and, you know, by the time you're all of the, the secrets have been revealed at the end of the movie, you're like, OK, that was a satisfying enough ending. You get home and thought, wait a minute, how did this person know to get there? And, you know, it, it starts yeah. to fall apart after a little bit. It's based on the it's but, based uh, on the premise, not so much the the ending. Yeah, 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 and and the ending is there's an explanation as to like what's going on. Uh, there's there's a, a little bit of a hint as well where uh, they look up at sort of a crest over this little bay where they are, uh-huh. and they see like light flashing, uh, like some uh-huh. like there's some glass up there, and they they feel that they're being filmed, uh-huh. and that that might have some not, that might have good. might have something to do with uh, with yeah. their aging. That's um, actually just really creepy. Yeah, I'm actually just getting creeped out just thinking about it. Yeah. And and yeah, this is the stuff of nightmares. I think yeah. uh, like very common anxiety nightmares are like aging prematurely uh, or or being a different age than you are now. And uh, that one's not mine, but I do have plenty of anxiety nightmares, so I can't judge. There's yeah, no, there's, no would I. There's no point. But like, yeah, <laughs> well, you can't judge a nightmare. But uh, why would I do that? But my point is, is like I, I, in my experience, that's not my anxiety nightmare. But God yeah. knows, I have plenty. Yeah, I'd maybe do. I'll maybe I'll get this one now. Maybe there you go. Now you'll, yeah, <laughs> great. That's why I need more problems. Have, have a dream tonight, and you'll be ninety. No. Um, yeah, I, I, I had a dream where I was uh, going through a video store, and as I was in there, the video store started to like rot and fall apart, and the Ooh. videos fell on the ground. And I looked in a mirror, and I was very, very old. Wow. This was when streaming was already big, so I, I was <laughs> I was feeling old already. Okay. <laughs> this, is, this is your film so, geeking. So it's like, dream. okay, yeah, I know what that means. Oh God, I don't need to see a shrink about this I one. I can't find anyone to fix my laser disc player. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of it. Oh no, my my Betamax. <laughs> what happened to my Betamax? Uh, yeah, old is is uh, just good, effective filmmaking. There's a lot of good, scary things that go on. There's some horrific violence that, of course, happens. Um, it's a PG-13 rated film. I think it might have benefited a bit from more gore and on-screen violence. Okay. I understand that Shyamalan likes to sort of eschew that in terms yeah, of... be a little classy. He, he likes to see the, the reaction is more important to him than the actual violence. Yeah. I think if we had seen some of the more horrific things like close up, that would have maybe shocked us a little bit and left a a little bit of a deeper impact. But uh, as it stands, it's still creepy. It's still a good thrill ride. And uh, Vicky creepy. It is Vicky creepy. I like Vicky creeps. I think she's very, she and, and Guy Garcia Bernal do have like good chemistry together, especially as they start to get older and older and, realize, you know, kind of are reassessing their relationship. So there's a little bit of an emotional uh, stake Mm. in this as well. Right. Uh, it, and like and Shyamalan's films though and this one especially do have this weird sort of uh, thrown off quality mm. they're typically made on a budget and even though yeah. he has these big ideas it feels like he's making something on the fly yeah like he is really eager to explore these ideas so they come across as sometimes a little bit sloppy mm. but sloppy in the service of enthusiasm not because he didn't think something out and that's something yeah. i really appreciate i love a, an enthusiastically sloppy movie and mm. old is one of those again you it's mm. you can you can achieve it's easy to achieve mediocrity you don't even have to try oh, yeah. to achieve mediocrity to succeed wildly mm. you got to try to fail mm. amazingly 
you got to try. Yeah. yeah. So, and it, sometimes it's hard to tell how it's going to turn out. <laughs> so you just got to try and hope for the best. And that's M. Night Shyamalan. For me, that's M. Night Shyamalan in a nutshell. He's yeah, just she, always she, super she, passionate and intense. He, he uh, yeah, he's, he's going to throw himself into whatever weird idea he had that I'm, week. I'm really bummed out. I interviewed M. Night Shyamalan when mm. uh, Split came out. Okay. Uh, and at the time, he was attached to a TV reboot of Tales from the Crypt. That's right. And unfortunately, that. there was there were just legal issues. It was like difficult to tell who owned the rights to it, and mm-hmm. that just never got off the ground. I thought he was the perfect choice to executive produce the Tales <laughs> from the Crypt show. He understands punchy. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot, even like some of the worst M. Night Shyamalan stuff, if it was 21 minutes. It's still probably, work, Like yeah. I imagine Lady in the Water at 21 minutes probably would have been amazing. But the longer you live in that world, the more you realize how kind of stupid well, it is. And, but like, and how much how much they explain in that movie. It's yeah. like, oh, and these are scrunts, and that's yeah. that's a narf, and nope, they actually represent this. And there's a mermaid like, in a swimming pool. Oh. It's it's here to inspire somebody, and a guy has to search the, the uh, uh, you know small apartment complex that he's the super of to try to find the person who needs to find magic because yeah. he's not the right guy. That's a great premise. That's just, really fun. You just go door to door. You have yeah. one conversation with each character. Yeah, and like, and, and there's the a time, time limit. The there is a monster yeah. after her and stuff. So there's a bit of a threat. Boom, done. Awesome premise. Mm. The more you delve into that, the sillier it gets. So the movie is plenty, plenty silly. Yeah, damn shame. Well, that's cool. I'm looking forward to seeing old. Yeah, I, I really need to get around yeah. to that. I really, I'm, yeah, I'm super I, stoked. I, I dug it. it like fine. I said, it's it's a little messy. It's not at all logical, but that's, it's it's still a, a fun. They thing don't have to be logical. No, do they? no, it's just the question is is the illogic getting in the way of your enjoyment? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I reviewed No Sudden Move, the new Steven Soderbergh film, and that oh, yeah. thing's tight as a fucking snare drum. Uh, the Shyamalan likes to play a little bit looser. And, well, again, he's uh, and doing that's... with fantasy shit. It's like oh, yeah, people turn, yeah. people, I'm, no, we don't actually have movie, the technology to turn people that old. Just that in, fast, in, in terms like... of like the the way the the directors try to string everything together, uh, you know, Soderbergh is really yeah. good at stringing things very tightly. Shyamalan doesn't care. Yeah, he, he, he's more interested in chasing his ideas, and I think that's admirable. Uh, well, that sounds like a better film than Snake Eyes, mm. GI Joe Origins, which I saw. Wait, I've even though it's been out, and I know what Snake Eyes is, I see the title like on in ads or online media, and I still think of the De Palma movie. Yeah, uh, there's a Brian De Palma movie from ninety eight, ninety nine, ninety eight, ninety eight. It's I haven't seen it in a long ass time. It's a whirligig kind of film. It's a stupid story, but uh, Nicolas Cage plays a corrupt cop who finds himself at the center of an assassination attempt in the middle of like a boxing fight in like Atlantic city or Reno or one of those. No, there's like a hurricane. I think it's Atlantic city. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's it opens with this gigantic wonder that's super duper complicated, yeah, and it all like, ends in the assassination, and, and it's, it's really ambitious one, one and of the, wild. One of the earlier movies to use drone cameras as a plot yeah. point. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about that. Um, it's it's not great, but it's it's fun. It's definitely yeah, it's, a fun it, film. It's well put together, yeah. and I like uh, Nicolas Cage it, in it. It's got more going on than this Snake Eyes. So uh, Snake Eyes, GI Joe Origins, is the latest attempt to do a GI Joe movie series. Uh, we've had. Technically, we've had, depending on how you count, two or three. There was the animated movie, G.I. Joe the Movie, which oh, was supposed to like come out 80, after Transformers the Movie. 86-ish. Uh, what right? happened was they did 
Transformers, the animated series, was really, really huge in the in the 80s, and so they did a Transformers feature film, uh, which didn't this, make the, money. This is Hasbro yeah. is making these things. It, it was a big deal for like people who liked the show, but no one else was interested, and the kids couldn't always convince their parents, and it just, it didn't make money. Uh, and so the plans to release the G.I. Joe movie in theaters were scuttled and ended up going straight to video. That G.I. Joe movie is actually pretty fun. Like, it's mm. all mired up in that kind of really ridiculous I, I know I saw it like, as a kid but I remember nothing about it's, it it's the one where like Cobra Commander gets like a snake disease and starts turning into a snake guy what yeah it's kind of okay, fun yeah, I really don't remember this it's, it's actually pretty fun but it's it's um, big and goofy and it has a good time G.I. Joe uh, started as a toy uh, many decades ago um, yeah like I think as early as the 1950s yeah, it was just and, a straight up army toy yeah and, and yeah. yeah he was just a soldier right? G.I. Joe a yeah. regular all American white hero dude and, and uh, the, it was real American hero. The real, real American, the real American hero. hero. Uh, they eventually this eventually there. mutated in the 1980s to uh, GI Joe not being the American military, but this weird sort of superhero conglomerate of international super soldier spy I think it was kind of characters. Officially American, but they had some some uh, ringers yeah, from other and, countries. But yeah, it was and basically they always fought this uh, terrorist organization called Cobra. Yeah, led by a guy named Cobra. Uh, Cobra Commander. The please. Cobra Commander. Yeah, and do, then do uh, we learn his name? Is it like? I don't think they would do. Uh, well, we did in the, the Steven Summers movie, but I forget what it was yeah. offhand. Uh, there was Cobra Commander, then he was eventually replaced by Serpentor, uh, who was uh, made by like taking like the DNA from the greatest despots in world history, like Napoleon and Genghis Khan, and uh, then just putting them all in a blender. Oh, um, but I, uh, I watched the animated series as a child. Um, I have I don't really, I don't even have fond memories of watching it. It's yeah. one of those things that I watched, like, sort of out of this weary obligation yeah. as a child. I, I, to, I, I liked the, the action. I didn't like the show, I'm though. trying to remember the plot. I think, if memory serves, I could be wrong about this. If memory serves, the plot for Serpentor was Cobra is collecting the DNA from the tombs of all of these legendary despots. Mm. And if they succeed, he will be completely unstoppable. And the only thing G.A. Joe is able to do is prevent him from getting... The DNA of, well, not a despot, but a legendary figure. I think they prevent him from getting the DNA of Sun Tzu. And as a result, hmm. he's impatient. And that's his only weakness. Because <laughs> they couldn't get Sun Tzu. And if, yeah. I, if I recall, yeah. um, weren't they also trying to harvest the DNA of Sergeant Slaughter, a WWF yes, wrestler? Yes, he, he was, one of, the, yeah, he was w- one of the ones they needed to get. There was a WWF wrestler named Sergeant yeah. Slaughter, a real-life wrestler. Uh, made his debut wrestler. in the movie. Yeah. And yeah, and but he was also a GI Joe character in this yeah. weird, weird corporate know, synergy so for fun. kids who were ten in 1998. Anyway, it was a huge toy line. Well, 19, and 1988. The, it was a me. huge toy line. Yeah. The cartoons were a big deal, uh, and then it started to peter out in the 90s, like a lot of the 80s cartoons did. But you know, nostalgia people loved it, and the the brand still had value, at least to Hasbro. So in the mid 2000s, uh, they mid to late 2000s but in any case they got Steven Summers the guy who did The Mummy and Van Helsing to do a live action G.I. Joe movie starring Channing Tatum Ray Park uh, Christopher Eccleston Joseph Gordon-Levitt pretty good cast all things considered and one of the characters was a character I always thought was a robot (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Snake Eyes. Uh, named Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes uh, is ne- one of the... You never, you never saw Snake Eyes' face, and no. uh, and Snake Eyes was like a... And he never a, talked. He had hit a hit yeah. a, a, th- a vocal cord injury, so he couldn't talk. Uh, and yeah, uh, it was silent, didn't see it, and it was yeah. like a... Had like ninja swords. Yeah, he was a ninja. He was... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Snake Eyes 
was he was kind of the breakout character of G.I. Joe for a lot of people. Um, he was trained in the arts of the ninja. Uh, and uh, he was trained alongside his blood brother, not, you know, related by blood, but, you know, they did that thing where you slice your hands and go squish. Uh, <laughs> don't do that. It's not healthy. You can get infections uh, You can get way. infections very easily that way. Uh, but uh, he had a blood brother named Storm Shadow, who was also a ninja. I'm and being they... followed by a Storm Shadow. Anyway, uh, they were uh, training together and then... Uh, Storm Shadow was like passed over for like the, the head of their clan, and and now he resents Snake well, Eyes. Well, he resented Snake Eyes, but then on top of it all, he was he uh, he, he Snake Eyes saw him kill their master, their sensei, and uh, so he was just bad, and that became a whole thing. But it turns out Storm Shadow actually didn't do it. So Storm Shadow is actually this tragic like antihero figure mm. who's working for Cobra, and that was like the only like emotional. Like core G.I. Joe like ever had for me Was those two characters Because they actually had like Affection for one another And it's complex And it's like okay. Communication issues are getting in their way And you want them to get get over it But they both got so much pride It's like the ending of the Fair to Remember it, But they're both ninjas Like it's really great um, <laughs> A ninja to remember There you go uh, So I uh, <laughs> He was in the live action uh, uh, Stephen Summers movie, except uh, they decided instead of just giving him like a ninja cowl or, or whatever, mm. they gave him a, a, a mask with lips. Just so you know, he had them, I guess. Or like you could see his lips? Yeah, or like, it was no, like, a, like the a mask pup. had lips carved into it, like the, oh, like 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 the, the nipples Rangers, in the bat suit. Or the Power Rangers face. Yeah, I don't okay. know why they did that. It doesn't make any sense. They took it away right. for the follow up, J.H. Joe Retaliation, which is actually not half bad. Mm. Um,. John M. Chu, who of course recently directed In, in the Heights, uh, uh, he came around and he did some cool action sequences. There's this great mountaintop uh, ninja fight that's really quite excellent action yeah. filmmaking. Um, but it's, it never it never hit. People just weren't interested. And now they're rebooting it again. And this time they are <laughs> if, going if back. First, you don't succeed. Well, they're going back to uh, the whole. Uh, well, let's tell the story before the story. You know, hey, it's been like. 25 years since G.I. Joe was a ubiquitous pop culture presence that most people would be at least passingly familiar with. Maybe we don't know it. Mm. And maybe like revealing the origin of Snake Eyes as like this secret history isn't the best way to go because people don't have an emotional connection to Snake Eyes yet. And well, therein know- lies a lot of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like a lot of the big pop properties these yeah. days are um, assume a pre-existing uh, affection. Yeah, uh, and if in even if you don't have that affection, there's this weird sort of sense that the previous generation thinks it's important. So the like a younger audience says, "Oh, actually, mm. I I heard that this is important somehow." Yeah. So I'm I actually am going in. Paying closer attention to this think, because this might be important. I guess that's like, what they're going. I feel for. that's that's a, a big secret for a, actually a lot of the Marvel movies. Like, yeah. ooh, we're going to get really excited about the Guardians of the Galaxy, really, because they weren't like huge before. The movies yeah. made them popular, but there was the mm. sense from like the comics geeks and you know the those in the you're going to love it once yeah. you get it. Yeah. Once yeah. once you understand, uh, we know yeah. what these things are about, and you're going to love it once you I see guess these. I, I don't really have my finger on the pulse of the toy community, which I feel is what a lot of G.I. Joe has been lately. So I don't know yeah, well, it, if it there was, is that sense in G.I. Joe. The, t- there is the this TV legacy. show was a toy commercial. It was. But like again, it, it, the TV show has not it's really been on for a while. Mm. So I feel like the toys have been what's been sort of keeping this thing alive. And I know that there's a lot of comics, but comics don't sell the way they used to. 
So I just again, I just not hundred percent sure who the target demo is supposed to be. If it's mm-hmm. for the old fans, um, this is probably a slam dunk regardless. So who cares? And if it's for new fans, I think you're assuming that they have this relationship to Snake Eyes that they probably don't. It would be like, hey, we're going to reboot the Phantom, but it's going to be the Phantom Origins, and it's all about his dad. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's a fine story, I guess. I guess, but, uh... but maybe we should start with the Phantom and get people interested first? No? We don't know if they're... Okay. Well, in any case, the plot of G.I. Joe is uh, it's the origin of Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes in this one is played by Henry Golding, who is good at he, stuff. He, this Very charismatic actor. Um, And you... He... He's of he he has like he's tall. He's got you yeah. know that deep voice and just movie star good looks. Oh yeah, like he's incredibly handsome. Captures a scene. So uh, yeah, he's ca- casting really him as the lead in some like big franchise action picture is Obvious. a no brainer. Like, yeah, I'm glad that, that people he got been, one. People have been saying he should be the next James Bond. I agree. I think sure, he'd be really yeah. good. Um, so he's him, fine. Him, but... him or Dev Patel? Yes, I I, I, yeah. I like both of those. I think both of those are great. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, in any case, at the beginning of the movie, uh, Snake Eyes is a little boy, and his dad is uh, on the run from mm. someone. We don't know who. And uh, the these people track them down to a cabin, and uh, he says, uh, son, wait here in the closet, and you're going to watch me get murdered, but don't say anything. And uh, the kid's just like, oh, that'll traumatize me and send me on a path to being a ninja. Just, just, just stay here. Okay. And then uh, the bad guy comes in. The bad guy comes in, and he's just like, I like to give everyone a fighting chance. So if you roll these dice, and if you win... You'll 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 survive, and of course he rolls a snake eyes because snake eyes needs a nickname. And uh, the, so uh, the kid escapes, dad dies, and the kid uh, has spent his entire life looking for his father's murderer, and that's why he's become such a badass fighter. At the beginning of the movie, he's, he's ba- badass fight his father's. Coming. He's recruited by the yakuza, who mm-hmm. say uh, if you work for us because he's such a badass, uh, we will help you find your father's uh, killer. Uh, but uh, as soon as he's actually asked to do something untoward like kill a guy he decides not to and ends up teaming up with the guy uh to escape you know be be relaxed and groovy and it turns out that guy is storm shadow and i'm actually blanking on the name of the guy who plays storm shadow uh so let me just get his name right because obviously he deserves it um he is played by andrew koji um Andrew Koji is also really good. They smolder these two. Like this, as a bromance movie, these two are just like, damn, I need to loosen my collar a little bit, let that steam out. Oh my goodness, they're just they're hunky and intense, and I'm like, yes, all of this is great. Um, it turns out, are, are uh, there scenes where they have to take down their shirt and dress each other's wounds, like just after a battle? They really and, should have been. That's a yeah. huge mistake. They, they, they missed like, out. Oh, I have, like that scene in a. a hmm. Raiders of the Lost Ark, where she's like dabbing his wounds. He goes, ah, yeah. don't do that. So it turns out that uh, Thomas uh, Arashikage, that's the name of the character, he's the uh, heir apparent to the Arashikage clan, which it turns out is like the anti-Yakuza. They're still a secret organization of badasses, but they're actually doing good deeds, and they're actually like protecting Japan and stuff like that. And so it's this noble line. Kind of like... Kind of like G.I. Joe. A little bit like G.I. Yeah. Joe. And in fact, later on in the in the movie, when we introduce the idea of G.I. Joe, the Arashikage are just like, we work with them sometimes. Like, yeah, okay, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're okay. They're, they're with us. The, like, that kind of thing. The United States counterpart. Kind of, yeah. Um, and so uh, Snake Eyes is invited into the clan, and he is, uh, you know, said, like, you can join us, but you have to pass our trials, and mm-hmm. you have to purge your heart of all of its darkness. And uh, it, it's late in the movie. It's so late that it could be considered a spoiler. However... 
I think it's the premise, so I'm just going to uh, reveal this because, frankly, it's, the movie's a little listless until they mm-hmm. do. Uh, turns out that the whole plan with the Yakuza in the first place was to get Snake Eyes to infiltrate the Arashikage. So he's an uh, undercover okay. bad guy in the hero organization. And his entire relationship with, with the guy who becomes Storm Shadow is based on a lie. And mm-hmm. he's betraying them in order to find out who killed his father. So he's the bad guy in this story. Mm-hmm. Now, that could be interesting. That could actually be like kind of fucked up and dark. Uh, I don't think the movie understands that. I don't think the movie understands that at that point our sympathy kind of isn't with Snake Eyes; it's kind of with Storm Shadow mm. because we keep sticking with with Snake Eyes. Like, oh, like, oh, we're supposed to like really care if he finds his father's killer. Like, no, everyone else around him is saying he needs to like not be a killer and stuff, and like actually be a good guy. And he's the one fighting it. And I'm like, I think your whole movie's allegiances are off. And then the movie starts going off in weird directions, and it turns out there's a magic rock that can use force blasts and shit. And it's like, it just, it starts off as like kind of grounded, and it just, I get that they're trying to ease us into something wild, but it ends up being absurd, the contrast. It doesn't uh, work. It sounds sounds like it has a similar problem to um, Black Widow, Mm. in that uh, they're trying to tell sort of a a spy espionage or um, martial arts story. Mm But they have to tie it to something with, like, a fantastical element. Yeah. So in Black Widow, they have, like, magical mind erase gas yeah. that comes in these little vials. And that's, that's like, straight out of Saturday morning. Well, it's, but to be fair, Bond's done shit like that, too. Uh, yeah, but, you know, yeah. it's... And, and I understand that it's a comic book character, and it's okay right. to, to play broad, but... Uh, when when so much of that film up to that point had tried to sort of go problem, for something a little bit more grounded. The problem with this movie, mm. it, well, there's a lot of problems with this movie, actually. Uh, first off, the action sequences kind of suck. Uh, everyone's oh, really well. capable, but, like, the camera work just isn't very clean. Sometimes it goes full shaky cam. It's just not a great way to do an action sequence, and almost all of them end up underwhelming, even if the choreography was good. This movie has Iko Uwais in it, and, of course, he oh, is fucking badass. Well, yeah, one of the greatest movie fighters he barely gets to do anything. No. It's a crime. Then why would you why do you that? hire him? Yeah, why <laughs> hire him? What's the fucking point? What are you doing? It's like getting Gene Kelly and telling him, whatever you do, dance as little as possible. What are you doing? What's the hmm. point? Like, the audience wants it? Let him have it. Like, let let him fight. It's a fight movie, for fuck's sake. Um, so that, all that is, is disappointing. Um, this is the story. The, the whole point of this is to tell this, like, tragic downfall of Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow. Like, that's what it is. They, they became close, and then they fell apart. And isn't that sad? And it's supposed to lead to Storm Shadow becoming the bad guy. Uh, all of our sympathies are with Storm Shadow. Mm. He's the one who gets screwed over here. Like, it's not his, it's not his fault. And in the end, he gets, like, punished for, like, a momentary lapse of judgment... Whereas Snake Eyes gets rewarded for consciously making the decision to betray people and jeopardize world peace and get a lot of people killed and then deciding at Mm. the end to, like, go back on that and do the right thing. All of that is wonky. All of that doesn't work. All of that is is wrong. That doesn't fly. uh, There's this weird trend in a lot of uh, recent uh, blockbuster entertainment with uh, specifically those that have, like, villain characters. Yeah where the villains are treated with the utmost sympathy and they're given mm. very uh, relatable goals. Yeah. 
Uh, it's just their means that we object to. Like, like Thanos a, wants to yeah. save the world from stuff like overpopulation, yeah, so, uh, but he wants but to do wants, it by killing he everybody. To, yeah, wants to do yeah. it by committing the mass, um, yeah. act of mass murder. Um, so, yeah, we, we can agree with his goals, but we don't agree with his means. Mm-hmm. It's kind of frustrating that they never actually addressed his grievances at all in those yeah, movies. The, the, we, that's the <laughs> thing. that's it's legit. Like, uh, I think that's, that's the thing. If you have superheroes, if you have a villain who has a reasonable end... Yeah. That he does... Of course, we don't want you to do villainous things in order to get there. Mm. But if the hero defeats the villain but does nothing about the fundamental problem, that's where you're fucked. That's one of the reasons why Black Panther is great. Because at yeah, the end of it, he realizes that address his, the bigger problem. Yeah, his brother, yeah. he was, his brother had a really good point. He's, he's like, an wait, asshole about it, and we had to stop him from killing everybody. But his point was valid, and at the end so of the movie, they're doing something. Let, about let's it. let's do something uh, similar yeah. but a heroic version yeah. of that. Uh, while at the same time, while we're giving our villains these really kind of sympathetic or understandable backstories, the heroes are increasingly. Uh, evil yeah <laughs> like they commit like morally complicated to the yeah, point like of being just bad exactly yeah. like i understand that they're trying to make them a little bit more morally gray or yeah. uh, like conflicted or they have like a stain in their past but sometimes the stains are so awful yeah that they end up murdering more people than the villains yeah no it's rough it really yeah. really is and um so yeah this one doesn't really work on that level which i saying because again you strip it down i, I read the comics when i was i learned to read on Larry Hama's run on G.I. Joe. That is not okay. an exaggeration. I literally did. And the the relationship between Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow, it's simple. It's, mm. it's elegant, actually. Like, you could totally make a good movie out of that. And yet, they decided to just spruce it up with a bunch of weirdness. And they decided to set things up in the weirdest fucking way. So, there's a line in the movie where, you know, bad things are happening. And uh, someone tells uh, Tommy Arashikage, who will become Storm Shadow, You've got that look in your eyes, like the shadow before the storm. What? That's not a. That's not a phrase. I know it's not a phrase. Uh, that's it's but the that's, calm before the storm. But regardless, that's supposed to set up the fact that he'll be called Storm Shadow. Do you know why he's called Storm Shadow? Big Harry Nelson fan. His last name is Arashikage. Hmm. Arashi means storm, hmm. and Kage means shadow. Oh, it's just a translation of his yeah, name. Yeah, it's literally okay. that. We don't need any more than that. <laughs> you can just say Arashi Kage. Is that, what does that mean? It means storm shadow. Storm shadow. Done. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need more than that. What are you doing? Why are you sprucing that up? It's ridiculous. It's, oh, um, also, another another. Uh, uh, I mentioned that Ika Uwais is uh, completely wasted here. Mm. You know what else is wasted here? Samara Weaving. Oh, Samara Weaving's great. She plays Scarlet. She shows She's up in the in, second half and it feels like... Ready or not. She's really feels, good. It feels like the majority of her scenes could have been added in post after people were just like, can we have some mm-hmm. G.I. Joe in this movie, please? Because, like, she's just barely in it, and it's frustrating. She's great. She's great in everything. I want to see more of her. So this is just a big old mediocre misfire, and it's just not great. People say this all the time, but, you know, there are certain properties, IP, whatever you want to call them, that I think uh, our affection for them is overestimated. Yeah. I felt that way about Transformers, but those movies were all made boatloads of money. Boat so what am, what am I going to yeah. say? I don't know. Yeah, yeah I think, but this I, one I think is... G, like GI Joe and the Masters of the Universe, mm-hmm. and they're working on a, like a, an animated I think, Thundercats I think if you want to make a, film. I think if you want to make a billion dollars off of them, you got a huge uphill battle. But like on TV, where the stakes are lower, yeah. people might give it a shot. Sure. Mm. If you did a Snake Eyes TV series, live action. You'd probably get more eyes on that, and people would be willing to give it a little bit more time and let it evolve, and you can tell that story a bit more gracefully. 
Uh, but yeah, as the movie, this is, again, this is actually not a bad pitch for a G.I. Joe movie. You want to do a lower-budgeted G.I. Joe movie, doesn't have all the crazy Fo- Cobra shit. on, like, one guy. Yeah, yeah. well, two, but, like, regardless, yes, mm-hmm. this is actually, like, the one good story at the heart of G.I. Joe that could just be a straight-up low-budget action movie. Yeah. And they whiffed it, and it's pretty frustrating. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen. It's not even the worst G.I. Joe movie. It's something that's the first uh, Stephen Summers film, but it's just a big old missed opportunity. Yeah, that's... Hello, everybody. We just traveled through time. We had to take a break in the middle, but we're back. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. Um, yeah. Sorry about that. It's no I, time for you. Yeah, we, uh, we we were recording late at night, and I started not feeling very good, so we had to take a break. But uh, we're back the next day. Bit of a shift. <laughs> bit awkward. So, yeah, if our tone is a little different, it's because there's been like a 24-hour period. We have a totally different last, energy level, the, that's the, why. The first half of this yeah. episode. Uh, uh, where do you want to? Okay, where do you want to? We've already reviewed so, old and snake eyes. Yeah. What do you want to review? You want to? When did you do Jolt? Tell me about okay, Jolt. Um, Jolt, and uh, we already made the joke about the cola. Um, Jolt Cola <laughs> was a really wonderful product that uh, reached sort of its pinnacle of popularity in the 1990s, mm-hmm. and its when selling it was re- point was, it was yeah. that it had more caffeine than any other cola. Yeah, it was of course replaced in the public consciousness by Orbitz. Which was soda, but with gross stuff in it. It it was it was a precursor to boba. Yeah, it had like little, little floaty bits. A little little floaty bits of gelatin floating. Yeah. It wasn't a soda. It was a, a flat drink. I actually never had one. Uh, I I did. <laughs> I was and not. It, in, it was not. And interested. and it was like drinking corn syrup. It was it was like <laughs> thick and viscous. It was really nasty. Nice. Uh, no, nothing was supplanted by Orbitz. Orbitz was only on the market for like two months in Orbitz was the or Zima of soft drinks. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Jolt like had a little bit of a cult uh, cachet. They mention it in the movie Hackers a lot. Oh yeah, because the hackers are up all night. They need all the caffeine. That makes sense. But they don't drink coffee for some reason. They're teenagers. Um, that's why. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Teenagers it used to be coffee wasn't like a drink you drink. It was a grown up drink. Yeah, yeah it was for, like, for truckers and smokers, and that yeah. was it. Then you hit your twenties yeah. and you're like, ah, I have yeah. to drink coffee because I have no other options. But when you're young, uh, you drink sodas. Yeah. Uh, Jolt, the movie, is the latest action film from uh, director Tanya Wexler. Uh, she did uh, the movie Buffaloed with oh. Zoe Deutsch, which, oh, was, uh, that, which yeah. was quite a good one. Uh, she did a film called Hysteria with uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, which I did not see, but it was about the inventor of the vibrator. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, so that's, that's a good pedigree. Yeah, so she has a... a a bit of a fun sense of humor when it comes to making her movies, because all of those films are about uh, female characters who use a lot of uh, just their their brash character mm. to confront the world around them. Uh, Jolt is her riff on, I guess it would be Crank, uh, mm. because it, it stars um, uh, Kate Beckinsale. Yay! Who is... She's capable of a lot. She, she's a great action heroine. She's really hilarious. She's a yeah. great actress. And she gets trapped and, uh, too often in like kind of just generic movies. But when mm. she gets good material, she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. She's done a lot of action pictures and I, I got to interview her once and she's like, yeah, my career is weird. One day I'm doing Chekhov and the next day I have to wield a machine gun. That's yeah. just what I do. Yeah. Uh, this is more on the machine gun side of the spectrum, but she's also very, very funny. <laughs> Uh, she plays a character who um, we see sort of flashbacks of her growing up that she has 
uh, sort of a rage disorder. She has impulse control problems. And whenever somebody doesn't meet her standards for just common decency, she does violence against them. Yeah. And in order to, she's tried therapy, she's tried martial arts, so uh, of course she's like a master martial artist, because to work through this rage, she figures, well, I can do fight stuff, but she ends up hurting people anyway. Yeah. Uh, to the point where she's now uh, wears a vest every day and electrodes all up all over her body. And she gives herself electroshock therapy. Whenever she like feels the rage coming up, she pushes a little button in her hand. It gives her a shock, and that sort of evens her out a little bit. Seems a little elaborate. It's really elaborate, and it's not based on any kind of actual behavioral right. studies. This is all fantasy movie stuff. Uh, again, uh, you should not be going to your movies for any kind of realistic depiction of what mental illness is like. Uh, yeah, it's incredibly rare for movies to get even remotely close. Yeah, it, yeah. it's it's not ever even, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she uh, ends up falling in love with uh, Jai Courtney. Oh, big mistake. No, uh, <laughs> she she has trouble, da- as you can imagine, she has trouble dating. Uh, yeah. You know, she goes on dates with these, uh, with fellows and they don't meet her very exacting standards. And she has these very violent fantasies about tearing their heads off. So, right. um. She ends up leaving, but Jai Courtney works her way through her uh, her uh, defenses. They have one very nice date, uh, then they have a vin- another another very very nice date, and then he's dead. <gasps> he's like the dog in John Wick. Oh God! Uh, because his death sends her on this trek into the underworld to get revenge on the guys who killed Jai Courtney. Okay, and uh, behind it is. Um, uh, what is his name? He played uh, Mr. Filch in the Fairy po- Harry Potter movies. David Brad- uh, Doug- Doug- David Bradley? Um, oh gosh, yes, something like that. A uh, uh, well-known... Uh, yes, David Bradley. Yeah, uh, yeah. Plays a, yeah, has a long career in British theater. He has yeah. awards for playing... Really good actor. Uh, on her tail are Bobby Calavani, Cannavale, and oh. Laverne Cox as the cops. Oh, uh, and, that's a really good uh, cast. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. Bobby Cannavale doesn't have a lot to deal with. Laverne Cox is a badass in this movie. Nice. And uh, there's a scene where, in order to distract Laverne Cox, Kate Beckinsale is trapped in a hospital, literally throwing babies at her. Oh my God. <laughs> like they're in the maternity ward, and she picks up newborns and like oh hugs some Laverne Cox. Yeah, it's 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 kooky and unrealistic, Jeez. and. Uh, and it's d- dumb as a bag of hammers, and it's not incredibly incredibly graceful, and it doesn't treat anything with uh, like the remotest amount of seriousness. The physics don't really pan out, and uh, Kate Beckinsale, however, is having so much fun, mm. and the film has such a, a wonderfully kooky sense of humor that I found myself kind of digging it anyway, even though I recognize this as complete schlock. Well, it's, 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 this, it's, it feels like the kind of movie you would have run into on cable, like some sort of yeah. knockoff blockbuster uh, that was on HBO. Right. Uh, or, you know, the bottom shelf at Blockbuster Video. And yet it Thomas has... Thomas Ian Griffith and Tia Carrera in Hollow Point. Something, yeah, along yeah. those lines. But yeah. it, it's slick enough, it's well-directed, and you can tell that Tanya Wexler has a good sense of humor about this kind of genre material. Yeah. And Kate Beckinsale is on her wavelength. So the, between the direction and the lead actress, we're having a, a grand old time doing this stupid shit. It, it sounds like, because if you go back to Crank and you go to a lot of other similar uh, mm. kind of exploitation uh, types of riffs, uh, what I find movies that are like this, again, I didn't see this one, mm. uh, are doing, are sort of, 
dancing around irresponsibility. Yeah, yeah like because yeah, sure. once once you have Kate Beckinsale throwing babies at people mm. <laughs> and not and not like quick save this baby, like no, haha, thunk, yeah, like it's like a distraction. Here's a baby. Oh yeah. shit, gotta catch a baby. Yeah, yeah that's that sort of wildly irresponsible. And, and, so you've got to hit the right and, tone and in if, order uh, to get away with that. And and I, I understand it's sensitive. The babies don't get hurt. The well, babies good. are fine. That's good. It's, it, it, you, would plays, lose, you would lose all sympathy for it. You, you yeah. have to find you ha- if you want to be able to do that in a movie, and it's a wild thing to even conceive of doing. There's a there there are things you can and cannot do. If the if anything happened to those babies, the movie's over. Yeah, you killed uh, the movie. We don't want Kate Beckinsale to succeed anymore. Yeah. But she, we also have to acknowledge that she's the kind of person who would put that endangering who, who, who situation would, yeah. into play who, who would think to throw a newborn just to save her own skin so, yeah yeah, yeah she's, so, like, she's there's, there's of, a line she's kind of a horrible person yeah. uh, but yeah it's it's okay to watch an action movie about a horrible person if the movie kind of acknowledges that and, yeah and is willing to play with the fact we're that, not pretending they're they're a role yeah, model the, here yeah yeah, yeah. and and you know all, there's all these you know, sort of cartoonish gangsters that end up and there's underground f- fist fighting tournaments like fight club style uh, all, all of that stuff is in there and uh, and then it's of course out in 80 minutes like it's nice. as long oh, as it needs good. to be yeah okay. it, it doesn't pad anything out it just no. gets to it and that's the way an exploitation ought to be nice. it ought to take up a little amount of time it ought to be just the right amount mm. of fun it ought to be not very smart yeah <laughs> well that's actually it, it doesn't transcend anything but it does schlock very well and and i appreciate that that is a great segue actually to the other <laughs> film i saw this week uh blood red sky mm. uh, which is another uh very schlocky premise mm. Uh, and I, I actually really like this movie a lot, but its biggest sin is it's two hours and it does not need to be. Aww. It's it. This is an 88 minute awesome thriller mm-hmm. that became a like two, like I think it's like two hours and like four minutes or something. Mm-hmm. And it just feels padded okay. and it's that, that stinks, but it doesn't hurt the movie. Blood Red Sky is a new film uh, on Netflix. Uh, and it is, uh, how do I, how do I put this? Okay. Imagine Die Hard. On a plane, mm. except John McClane is a single mom and a vampire. John McClane is the vampire. Yes. Okay, so it's a vampire fighting some other even more evil thing. Yeah, well, you know, hijackers who are going to kill everyone. Okay. Yeah. So it's vampire vampires versus hijackers. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah. Seventy nine minutes. Yeah. Eighty fun premise though, right? Three with credits. Yeah, it's awesome fucking premise. So, um. So, uh, yeah, so the movie kicks off with, uh, there's a woman, I want to make sure I get her, I don't remember her name offhand, I want to make sure I find uh, her name, mm. because she deserves all the credit in the world. Uh, what do we got here? Uh, Perry Baumeister. Perry Baumeister. No, I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's Perry Baumeister, sorry, per- my bad. Perry ba- that's the director. Yeah. No, that's the writer, uh, that's the star. Star, okay. Uh, she uh, She's a single mom, and uh, when we first meet her... Uh, she is getting ready to travel from Germany to America for some experimental medical treatment. And this is the sort of movie where we're supposed to like not know what's happening, but the twist is revealed so quickly that you can't describe the movie. Okay. Like, if I left out the fact that she's a vampire, I could tell you it's a single mom and she's mm. on a plane and there are hijackers, and then I can't tell you anything else about the film. Mm. So it's one of those, it's like the movie Red Eye, where like if you don't... Reveal the initial twist in Red Eye that Killian Murphy is the bad guy. Mm. Uh, then the entire movie is about Kate Beckinsale meeting a nice or man on a Rachel, plane. Rachel McAdams. Oh, that's right. There's Rachel McAdams in that movie. I was just talking about Kate Beckinsale. Rachel yeah. McAdams. She just meets yeah. a nice guy on a plane. 
and that's it. And mm-hmm. then you're going to see Red Eye and be like, I was betrayed. <laughs> Babes told me what this movie was about, and it was a lie. So like, it's one of those. But no. uh, yeah, the plane is taken over by hijackers, and uh, she is immediately, because her son, he's a young boy, and he panics, and he, he runs. And mm-hmm. uh, is, she's, is he a vampire? No. All right. He's imme- uh, she is immediately shot and like thrown into like the cargo hold. And that was a huge mistake because now she is hungry. And now she is like in this like dark cave where every once in a while they need someone needs to go down there to like rip out their throats and mm-hmm. shit. And she's like gradually turning more and more into a Nosferatu every more she drinks blood. <laughs> and uh, these guys have no idea what they're in for. And the plane's actually really, really, it's one of those really, really big, you know, international planes. So there's mm-hmm. a lot more places to hide. And um, I, I give them a lot of credit here. They thought out a fun premise. And I think they thought out just about everything you could do. I think there aren't a lot. I, you, sometimes you, we were just talking about in our uh, show, The Streaming Club, uh, Christmas Twister. Which is a movie about uh, yeah. a twister that hits at Christmas, and we go on a long rant in there about how they do nothing with that juxtaposition. Yeah, like there's no fun Christmas stuff in the movie. There aren't any Christmas gags. It doesn't revolve around Christmas. It's a huge waste of the only marketable part of the film. Here, it's, it's just a disaster movie. It's just yeah. a disaster movie. Christmas is completely incidental. Selling it on those merits is disingenuous. Uh, here. This is a great vampire on a plane movie. Like everything you want from a vampire on the plane movie is is in this. You've got uh, you know the infection starts spreading and shit. There's like a bit where like one of the bad guys is clearly like a homicidal maniac, and like he, once he finds out vampires are real, he was like, "Oh, I'm in," and you're like, "Oh, that's not good." That is not. Oh my god, we already had Hannibal Lecter on here, and now he's gonna have superpowers. Like it just gets wilder and wilder, and. It would be amazing. It would be totally amazing, except um, we keep getting these flashbacks to like how she became the way she is, and we only need them up to a point. We we need them a little isn't, bit. Isn't the but fact that she's a vampire enough. You need to understand that she's not like three hundred years old or anything. Like mm. you need to like get some sense of like where she's coming from. I get that. You need about fifty percent of the flashbacks that they have in this movie. That's mm. frustrating. There's this whole like wraparound sequence which is just stretched out interminably. Um, where like you know it's like we see like them land the plane in the first, in the opening scene and like you know there's a military unit gonna come in and like you know rescue the hostages or whatever. But uh, then it turns out there's like oh something weird happens and then it's like 24 hours earlier and I'm like no stop doing that. No. That's never fun. Like the vampire's already on the plane. Yeah, we're, we're good. <laughs> you're, you're there already. Like no 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 no. Like you just just start the movie at the beginning. Just start the movie. With people going on the plane. It does not take that long for the action to kick in mm. that we needed this. And then when we finally get back around to it, it takes way too long to wrap up. That's disappointing, but that's more of an issue of just sort of general pacing than mm. it is anything actually being tangibly wrong with the story or the characters or how how you know how good the movie looks. It's actually pretty fucking cool. Nice. Like I really do. This is a relatively low budget production. Obviously, you know they spent some money. They got a plane, but um, yeah, this is not like a gigantic production. They had a good screenplay. They thought out all the angles. They came up with all the right bits and gags that you want for a vampire meets terrorists on a plane movie. And um, kudos. I just think you know you should have had some more judicious editing. I think there's like a brilliant 90-minute movie here, and you made like a three-star two-hour movie. Bah. And that sucks. But like it's yeah. it's a fun, if that premise sounds fun to you, check this out. It's neat. 
Mm. It's really, really neat. And I had a really, really good time with it. And uh, I'm looking forward to, I hope to see more. This this feels like the kind of movie that's going to be a pretty good calling card uh, for the director, Peter Th- uh, Thorvarth. I don't okay. know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but um, uh, he seems like he's got some real talent. Um, and I hope he does more with it. Uh, he, apparently, he's he's been working in Germany for a while. This is like a big breakout, like Western crossover movie. So mm-hmm. hopefully, people take notice because I can totally see this guy doing major Hollywood productions and doing some good stuff. All right. So anyway, uh, that is that. Uh, why don't you? Okay, we got two more movies. Mm-hmm. We got Candisha and Mandibles. What do you want to talk right. about next? Um, when I talk about mandibles, right. um, mandibles, uh, just because it's it's the more fun of the two. Um, Mandibles is sorry, the... Candisha. <laughs> well, you'll see what I'm talking about in a second. Okay. Um, Mandibles is the latest film from uh, Quentin Depew. Uh, oh, was a, a French Canadian uh, filmmaker hmm. who uh, sort of burst onto the cult scene with a film called Rubber. Yeah, which is uh, about a killer psychic she... tire. Yeah, I think which is in 2008. That movie came out around there. Um, Rubber was uh, Quentin Depew's third feature film, but... Uh, that was the one people started noticing. Yeah, it was 2010, Rubber came out. Mm. Yeah, and Rubber is uh, a self-aware film that addresses the audience directly about how the film you're about to watch is completely absurd and has no meaning whatsoever. And it's about a living tire that rises up from the wastelands of the desert and can destroy people with psychic mind bullets. You know, and like like, it, like tires... Like it mines. explodes people's heads. Yeah. They're really powerful tires. Uh, Quentin Depew has gone on to make films with titles like Wrong and Wrong Cops. (laughs) Related? Uh, I think they are. I think think the the cops from the movie Wrong are the wrong cops. Um, So, and he uh, always sort of sets his... uh, his films in these sort of absurdist worlds where people are uh, just sort of slaves to being a certain kind of certain kind of character, a certain kind of avatar. There's a self-awareness yeah, to them. trapped in their roles. Uh, Mandibles is weirdly his most down-to-earth that I've seen mm-hmm. in that it's about uh, this dumb ne'er-do-well dude uh, played by David Marseille. And he and his buddy, played by Grégoire Ludig, uh, are asked to take part in a heist. They're going to drive the getaway car. And when they, they steal a car that they're going to do, uh, or one of them steals a car and the other discovers in the trunk of the car is none other than a three foot fly, like a a gigantic house. Okay. That's pretty big. And it's just sort of hanging out in there. And they close the trunk and they say, okay, to heck with this heist. We're going to find a spot. Like just a, we're going to hijack a space. We're going to find like an empty warehouse or somewhere. And we're going to train this fly how to steal for us. Okay. And uh, are they going to train it to steal like rob banks or stuff? No, they, at first they just are going to try to get it to steal groceries because that's what they need at the time. Yeah. And start small. A, a big part of this movie is these two like, guys trekking from place to place, just trying to find a spot where they can hunker down. They find a trailer they uh, sort of kidnap the guy who lives there and they say, this is going to be the place where we train our fly. And they're such idiots that they end up burning that place down. That's a shame. <laughs> so they, and by a sheer twist of fate, they end up in somebody like a rich guy's or a rich uh, person's house. And uh, that's where they decide to train the fly, but they had to keep the fly secret. And 
things continue apace. Um, Adele Exarchopoulos from Blue's the Warmest Color is in this as a woman who has suffered a brain injury in a skiing accident. So she shouts all of her dialogue at the top of her voice. Mm. Um, People don't behave like people. And Quentin Depew movies. Well, like like They're, typical they, everyday people. They I behave, they like, behave that, that like, feels like that feels a bit rude towards people with uh, you know I, I, brain I su- injuries. I suppose. Yeah. Well, I I haven't heard of this particular brain injury, but if it is real, I apologize. Okay. Um, uh, my point being, uh, he's he seems to be scooping on the quirk in this one. They feel yeah. like quirky movie characters, mm. and I think they're supposed to feel like quirky movie characters. Yeah. And the, there's no the baseline one, normalcy. Yeah. And yeah, and the one X factor is this giant fly that's sort of hanging around in the periphery. Mm. The fly never becomes the central part of the plot in any kind of meaningful way. It's just about these two dumb guys doing dumb guy stuff. Is that genius With, or, infrust- or, or infuriating? It's, it's infuriating because there's no material here. Quentin Depew has a, a funny idea for a short. Two guys find a giant fly and want to train it to, to rob stuff. Yeah. Do that. Train the fly to rob stuff, and yeah. they're dumb, and they don't know what to do with a fly that robs stuff. Uh, don't just sort of drift from set piece to set piece in this stream of consciousness sort of way. Coming up with, it feels like he's coming up with gags on the day and seeing if they work, and if they don't, he leaves them in the movie anyway. And then at the end of only seventy-seven minutes, we're out, and we realize we had already overplayed this thing. Oh, so yeah, they, we are learning a lot of lessons about pacing this week, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. So seventy-seven minutes can be too long. Seventy-seven minutes was too long for the movie Mandibles. Uh, Again, no great film is too long. No short film. No bad film is short enough. Uh, that's that's Ebert's axiom, and, and uh, it's largely true. It's largely true, and and with Mandibles, even though it is a quite a little brief little trifle, and it has this wonderfully weird premise of this three foot fly being part of the movie. It, it doesn't do anything fun or funny with those things. Mm. It doesn't come to any sort of conclusion about having a fly. Or being a dumb guy with this extraordinary thing and you're never going to stop to see that this is an extraordinary thing. Mm. So yeah, I was incredibly disappointed. That's a shame. By Mandibles. Were you incredibly disappointed by Kendisha? Uh, I was not uh, disappointed by Kendisha. Yay! Uh, Kendisha is... uh, It's on... It's uh, debuted on... At uh, some film festivals. It's now debuted uh, for the first time in the United States on Shudder. And... uh, it is a French horror movie about these teenage girls uh, in France. Mm, and that makes sense. They're hanging out, uh, talking with their friends a lot. Uh, and in the early scenes, uh, it's sort of a mixed race group of friends. There's okay. uh, some uh, white kids, some black kids, some Arabic kids, and mm. they all refer to one another in very broad, racially insensitive terms. Uh, in in a way, friends might though. They're not like trying yeah. to offend each other, but they use offensive language. They're very, they're being a, very casual with it. Yeah, yeah, they use racist language very casually. Uh, in in a way where you can see that it's not meant to be hateful or shocking. Right. Uh, one of the three girls, the white one, uh, is accosted one evening. She's sexually assaulted by a peer of hers and she barely escapes before she's rather seriously hurt because they were discussing it earlier in the movie. She essentially decides to 
summon a spirit, Candyman style, oh. by drawing a pentagram of, like, she's bleeding, so she draws a pentagram in her own blood on the bathroom wall and summons a vengeful Moroccan deity, like a, a Moroccan oh. legend. Okay. And to get revenge. This ghost gets revenge real fast. Okay. Kills that guy and somebody else in that first night. It's like, oh shit, that Who happened. Knows? And so the next morning's like, what happened? What did I do? That is so, so they, efficient. They have to look up a little bit more about the legend of this this uh, e- evil deity. It turns out she was the ghost of a woman who was wronged in Morocco centuries ago. Yeah. They have to go to their local imam to explain this to them. And so they're, they're sort of like reading through all these holy texts, trying to get a little bit more ideas as to what a Muslim exorcism would look like. Yeah. And uh, meanwhile, this character, this ghostly figure is getting stronger and stronger. It's getting taller and taller by the end of the movie. It's like nine feet tall and it's yeah. goat legs and stomping people's, people's brains out. Nice. There's some pretty, yeah, pretty good, uh, um, gore effects and and horrific moments Mm. although it doesn't really address it specifically enough this is clearly uh another story about uh privileged people in the first world Mm. sort of exoticizing uh people from other cultures to their own fault right there's uh, someone who doesn't understand you know, or respect the culture, yeah, the, who is uh, manipulating it and exploiting it for their own ends. They exploit it to their yeah. own ends because they have exoticized another culture, and now it's coming back to bite them in the ass. And this is, of course, a colonialist fear, isn't it? That mm. the, the land you colonized is going to come back and get you at some yeah. point. It's a, a cu- cultural fear for the white white mm. uh, oppressors. On the other hand, they, they mm. seem to have justified the decision to do so in a, a shocking but sympathetic way because, mm. you know, she's been through something horrible. Yeah, yeah. So it's hard to entirely blame her for doing something. Yeah, and but we, yeah. All, we also learn that the ghost has gone through something horrible, but we don't feel sympathy for the ghost. It's a monster. Well, you uh, can. Y- you can, but it's not presented that okay. way. Uh, and uh, we we do this this kind of story in the United States typically as Native American magic. Yeah. Uh, coming back. Like, think of the film Poltergeist. That's not actually about Native Americans. It isn't, isn't it? No, like that's a... that's actually a Mandela effect. Like a lot of people think that that movie is about like a like a you know an Indian burial ground. Mm. Uh, that's actually not in the film. It's actually uh, just a, a, mm. a, a graveyard, and they move the headstones, but not the people. It's not actually about like we built it on it. The oh. movie, the movie that actually is like the. Um, that uses that as a backdrop, probably most prominently mm. that people tend to gravitate around is probably Pet Cemetery. Oh, there you go. That's yeah. probably the one. But even then, if you like read between the lines in the movie, and I think it's more clear in the book, the implication is that it has nothing to do with that. It might even be like aliens or something down there. Uh, thank, Steve, thank you, Stephen King. Stephen King muddles his shit up all the time. But anyway, <laughs> is Stephen is Stephen King not good? Uh, <laughs> Stephen King. Stephen King is an incredible storyteller, <laughs> but sometimes the stories aren't good. That's <laughs> the thing that I found about some Stephen bad King. Ideas he knows how to convey it okay, really, well, really well. well he doesn't I, always know. I, like, I, how I to, apologize for falling for that, but yeah, uh, a lot. Of, a lot. Of, I used to make that mistake yeah, all the time, but it's not in there. The, there is a tendency to do this in American cinema. However, True. Uh, yes, I'll, it became I'll think a, thing. Of a, a more salient example uh, when I'm not so tired. Um, so, but the idea that at, we saw at the beginning of the film how these uh, these uh, teenagers were being very sort of racially crass with one another uh, is kind of revealing uh, about how insensitive we can be to cultures in general yeah. and be very forgetful about history in general. And uh, I feel like this is 
a little bit, although not explicitly trying to sort of school the modern characters. Mm-hmm. I think it's, and, that's, and sort that of be, be a valid, little, yeah. little bit more educational. The, fil- the film, however, is a little bit uh, more interested in the violence and the sh- okay. and the sh- and the schlock and the gore and the exorcism of it all, uh, which is all perfectly fine and effective. Yeah. So so is I, it, I, it, it, it it just could have been more. Yeah. It like hinted at something that it didn't actually fully explore. That's frustrating. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, any, any last thoughts before we move on and uh, mm-hmm. do the roundup? Uh, just to reiterate something I've been saying uh, all this year that Shutter is doing some really exciting things. They have some really good taste, don't yeah, they? They're yeah. really interesting. They're interesting. Uh, they're they started off as like, oh, it's a streaming service with nothing but horror movies, and then after you get through most of their catalog, you realize they're not adding. They add stuff every month, but not necessarily enough to keep you super stoked. But when it, like at least one a week. It's no, no, pretty, they, they pretty, add they add frequent. like and they add catalog titles all the time, but they also take some away. But like, yeah. if you're a real like horror hound, like you're you're you probably have seen a lot of the stuff on there mm. but they realize that they need to keep people like connected like showing up every week at least mm. and yeah there's no shortage of low budget and international horror movies coming out all the time that are available all the time they're playing festivals all the time and they mm. have good taste yeah from stuff that otherwise might not have had a big platform so good for shutter mm. good for shutter um so it's time to review movies on the critically acclaimed scale once again, our critically acclaimed scale goes from C minus to C plus. The lowest you can get is a C minus. That is below average. Generally speaking, we don't recommend it. Could just be not very good. Could be the worst movie ever made. Uh, in the middle is a C. C is average. C is yeah, some good, some bad. Hmm. You know, if uh, if you're fond of the genre, it might skew better. But generally speaking, mixed bag. Hmm. And then C plus is above average. That's everything from we just generally recommend it to literally the best movie ever made. On that note, hmm. Candisha. Kandisha is a C. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a, a serviceable horror movie. All right. Uh, might might even be a little bit forgettable, but, you know, there's <sighs> some things to recommend it, and it's got a good scary monster. All right. Uh, Mandibles. Mandibles is a C minus. Okay. It just does not function, and it should. Okay. Any movie with a three-foot fly should be more interesting. Than that. <laughs> uh, okay. Blood Red Sky is a very high C. Okay. Like, I can't quite give it the C plus. If you're a vampire fan, I guess this might be a C plus, because it's kind of novel. Uh, and if you just like sort of genre cinema in general, I do recommend it. But in a general way, it's clever, but it the, it's just too slow. It's just and, and not like like too like oh please you know just end it all end our misery. But like this did not need to be two hours. So yeah. I have to I have to give it the merits for that. But it yeah. is neat, and I did like it. Okay. Uh, so uh, Jolt. Jolt, Jolt will never be more than a C. <laughs> Jolt, uh-huh. Jolt, Jolt is like, right? It's, it's not even as good a C as it can get. Like, it's, it's not even like a three-star, four-star movie. Uh, it's... Or four-star, three-star movie, sorry? It's, it's a three-star movie. Okay. Period. <laughs> it, it, there's a lot to recommend it, and I think it's actually light and fun, but I recognize that it's also sloppy and bad. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, G, uh, Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins. Uh, boy, was this movie, like, I was ready to be interested in this movie. I love Henry Golding. I grew up reading G.I. Joe, not more reading it and playing with the action figures than like the cartoons. Uh, and I, th- I thought there was definitely material here that could have been made for a good movie. But instead, the action's pretty lousy. The mm-hmm. uh, the cast is good, but man, they just they just kind of wrecked the story and made it like just kind of stupid. So uh, this has got to be a C minus. It's not a painful C minus. I'm not mad at it per se. I just think they whiffed it. Yeah. So, anyway. And uh, last but not least, Old. Old as a C plus. That's I, nice. I, I enjoyed Old. 
Cool. It's it's getting sort of mixed reviews, but uh, yeah, I, th- I like Shyamalan's weird sense of humor. Yeah. And uh, I like what he did with this film in terms of uh, so, some fun ideas that were explored in, with this premise that he came up with. Nice. Or I guess he didn't come up with it based on a comic book. but uh, Oh, it was? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, cool. Um, all right. Well, that is it for Critically Acclaimed this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with reviews of stuff like Jungle Cruise, which... Uh, it's about a cruise it's a Tom, in the jungle. It's like George of the Jungle, but it's Tom Cruise of the Jungle. Cute. Jungle Cruise. I get it. Uh, and and other things as well. Mm. Uh, we also have uh, a lot of other stuff to do. Podcast. <laughs> we got a lot of podcasts. Well, the, the, the Green Knight is also coming out next week. Oh, that's uh, right. So we're going to talk about the Green Knight. Uh, so we got other stuff. It's going to be fun. But um, yeah, in the, in the meantime, we have a lot of other stuff here. At the Critically Acclaimed channel, uh, we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have a lot of exclusive material, as we mentioned at the front of the show. Uh, we just kicked off uh, our weekly uh, podcast. Uh, well, all yesterday's has been a weekly podcast for a while, but we're doing weekly reviews of every Next Generation episode of Star Trek ever, mm. starting this week. And uh, boy, is that going to be a long journey. So come on in. Enjoy. There's a giant backlog over there, but we got a lot of other shows as well. Um, you, if we want to talk about anything we discussed on this episode, or if you want to ask us questions, or ask us recommendations, or criticize something that we uh, brought up, uh, you can always email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Oh, yeah. And we have a P.O. box. <laughs> we have a P.O. box. Yeah, if you want to send us a letter, please send us a letter. We'd That'd love nice. to get a, like an actual physical letter in the mail. Uh, our P.O. box is uh, Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And uh, don't forget, everyone needs soap. It's kind of a big deal. People like to be clean. So you want to head on over to Etsy and look for Salt Cat Soap, all one word. That's the soap store uh, that is run by uh, myself and my partner, M. Lampas da Silva. Uh, we, we make designer soaps, and they smell amazing, and they look really cool. And uh, we're also on Twitter and Instagram at SaltCatSoap. We've got soaps, we've got lotions, we've got stickers, we've got bath salts. Uh, and there's some really cool stuff, and we release new designs the first Saturday of every month. So we've got some really cool ones coming up soon. But uh, we are having a sale through the end of July on, I think, everything... Over $10. Any purchase over $10, I think you get a percentage job. So uh, make sure you take advantage of that while you can. Highly recommend it. Uh, and uh, I guess that's that. So uh, thank. Oh, and I'm at. I'm on. We're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. And I think that's it. So thank you, everybody, once again for listening. And never forget, everyone's a critic. I want to go to the Midnight Show. I'm sorry, what? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.